All right, we're back in another Sound of Battle Cry. And the name of the message today is Prayer Changes Things, The Purpose and Power of Prayer. Now, as you can tell from the title, this message is about how prayer changes things because some people teach and some people say that prayer doesn't change things. And some say, oh, it's just for yourself and it benefits you and it changes you, but not anything outside of you. Uh, some say, well, you just can't change God's mind, these types of things. But we're going to deal with that today. And I'm going to look at a quote to start off from a prominent conservative leader where they actually said this. And then we're going to go through the Bible showing that sometimes when people pray and they don't get an answer is because they didn't pray the right way. Believe it or not, there is a right way and a wrong way to pray. A lot of wrong ways. There are conditions, and we'll talk about that. But uh, that's basically the premise of this uh, to disprove this notion that prayer doesn't change things. Prayer absolutely does change things. It does have power. And I hope to strengthen your faith in understanding in that and to show you the truth of that from the scriptures that prayer changes things. Okay, so let's get into the introduction. Some say prayer does not change things. They say you cannot change God's mind. Some people say that. Some, some Calvinists say that, right? Uh, not all of them, but some of them act like prayer, you can't change mo uh, God's mind and it doesn't really change things. It's a very fatalistic view. Um, others say prayer is only meant for changing your life and thoughts to conform to the will of God. We'll see that in the quote here. Uh, that, that it doesn't affect anything outside of you, that it just changes you. And uh, this is false. Now, the quote that we're going to look at is from Ben Shapiro. Recently, Ben Shapiro repeated this false doctrine. I'm going to read from a screenshot of uh, that he made a post on Facebook about this. But, you know, in case you don't know who Ben Shapiro is, most people do, but he's a prominent conservative leader, one of the most well-known in the world today. Uh, he's not a Christian. He's a Jew. And, you know, they... Um, follow the writings of the Talmud, you know, oral rabbinical teachings, their interpretations of the Old Testament, and, and these types of things. So it's not Christianity, okay? Uh, to be a Christian is to reject Judaism, actually. And so, because uh, they reject Jesus Christ as the Messiah, and these types of things. Okay, we're not going to go too far down that rabbit hole, but he's not a Christian. But nevertheless... We still need to talk about it because the moment that you publicly teach something about God, um, you are a fair target to talk about these types of things and, and that you should be corrected on this false doctrine that you're spreading around to people. And over a hundred thousand, almost a hundred thousand people like this post as if it were true and it's totally false. So let's uh, look at this screenshot. So this just shows that he posted it, but I'm going to scroll down to the full quote here. Okay, so Ben Shapiro says, I've said this before, but I don't believe God is a gumball machine wherein he gives us what we want just because we prayed for it. Prayer is about realigning your life and your thought processes to be in accord with God's will, not the other way around. And it says 98,000 people liked this. Uh, so what we're going to do here is go through the scriptures to, to respond to what he said here because it's false. It's absolutely false. 
there are obviously a lot of false ideas about God, about Christianity, about the Bible, about prayer, about various different subjects. But today we're going to be focusing on this. And one more comment before we get into uh, the notes here. You know, Ben is exaggerating this this uh, idea here when he says God is not a gumball machine. And it's like, yes, God is not a gumball machine. You just ask him whatever you want. And he just gives you whatever you want anytime. That's definitely false. But that's not the entirety of the message that he has here. The message is that prayer doesn't change anything. He says prayer is just about you realigning your life and your thoughts. Not the other way around. There's no, So there's nothing in here that shows that Ben Shapiro actually believes prayer has any effect on the world. And that God doesn't do anything to answer prayer. And so even if he doesn't believe that, this is what he's saying. And this is the thought that he's putting out there. And all these people are going along with it. And it's... And you might not think it's a big deal, but it is a big deal. It's very damaging. Because why people are like, well, why even pray then? What's the point? And in addition to that, which we're going to look get into right in the beginning, is there's a lot of people who maybe have prayed and then nothing happened. And so they go right for this. Oh, uh, you know, oh, I guess it's not about actually getting prayers answered. It's just about, you know, changing your thoughts, right? No. No, not true at all. Okay, so let's get into it. The question is, what does Scripture say? Okay, that's always going to be the question. Whenever someone makes a claim about God, about spiritual truth, about how things work in the spiritual realm, you have to say, what does Scripture say? That's the final authority. Two people can have two different opinions they disagree with each other. How do we know who is right? We have no clue unless there is a higher authority, an objective standard for truth and morality. There is no way to know. But thankfully, we do have that. And in the scriptures, it says, Matthew 22, verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? You are wrong. Because you don't know the scriptures. You're wrong. And that's what we say today. Ben Shapiro, you're wrong. You don't know the scriptures. So let's continue. It is true that one aspect of prayer is that it is an act of humility in which you seek to be more conformed to God's will. But that is not the only purpose of prayer. Okay, so I don't deny that that is an aspect of prayer that you want to be more conformed to God's will. You humble yourself in the sight of God to pray to him. And that has the that effect on you. Absolutely. But that's not all prayer is. Another reason why prayer is an act of humility is because you're admitting your need for God's power. Without God's power, you can do nothing, at least nothing good, right? You can sin, so you can do something, but not good things, truly righteous things with righteous motivations. You need the power of God for that. And Jesus said this in John 15, 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. 
You can do nothing without Jesus Christ. You need his power. Okay? What I like to put together is this one says, Without me you can do nothing. And another verse says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Okay? So you need Christ. You need God. You need the power of God to do righteous things. And so that's part of the power of prayer. And it's an act of humility, as I said, because you are saying, I can't do it without you. And because I can't do it without you, I need to ask you for help. It takes humility to do that. If you are proud, you will not go to God in prayer and ask for help. Okay? So, let's continue. Before we look at examples of how prayer changes things, we will first look at commands and conditions related to prayer. Yes, conditions. Okay? I don't know if anyone's ever told you, but there are conditions to having prayers answered. Yes, the Bible is very clear about this. Now, we're going to go through a bunch of different verses, and it's going to seem like a a lot, but it's not really. It's just thorough evidence. But when you look at it, and you take a step back, and you look at it all, it's very simple and straightforward, okay? But there are conditions. This part is usually skipped over when people teach about, about prayer changing things, okay? That's... This is why it's so important that we cover this first. We're going to cover uh, con- commands and conditions of prayer. Because before we show that prayer can change things, how it does, in fact, show uh, multiple examples in the Bible of prayer changing things. Before we do that, we have to show that there are conditions for having prayer answered. Because people can pray in the wrong way without meeting the conditions all they want, and then they don't get answered prayer, and then they blame God. Oh, angry at God. God doesn't answer prayer. And then people make fun of thoughts and prayers whenever something bad happens, right? They say thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Well, the thoughts part, yeah, that's kind of silly. I don't. You can't send your thoughts to someone. That's silly. But prayers, they say, oh, look at the prayers aren't being answered. Well, how about there's conditions? Okay, how about there's conditions for answer prayer? It isn't just anybody at any time, at any anywhere, in any way can just pray and then, oh, God answers. And, oh, God didn't answer it. Oh, my prayer must not work. No. You didn't meet the conditions. That's your fault, not God's. Okay, so having said that, let's get into the commands and conditions of prayer. First, how about God tells us to pray? Okay? That is a command. Tells us to pray in general. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Pray and never stop praying. Okay, it doesn't mean every second of every day, but as much as you can. Here's another one. James chapter 4, verse 2. You lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war and yet ye have not because ye ask not. Okay, that's the first thing you need to understand. You don't have because you didn't ask. And as I said before, 
It takes humility to ask God, God, I need you to provide. I need your help. I need your power. I can't do it on my own. That's humility. The proud say, no, I don't need you. I don't need God. I can do it myself. I don't need God. And so God says, yes, you need to ask. You need to pray. Now, let's get into the conditions. First, God tells us not to pray for things according to our lusts, things that we don't need. So in the next verse, James chapter 4, verse 3, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Now this is one of the most important conditions right off the bat. Because it first says, you have not because you don't ask in the first place. Okay, you didn't even ask. But then what if you do ask and you still don't receive? You ask and you receive not. You still didn't get an answer. Why? Because you asked to consume it upon your own lust. You asked for some stuff that you didn't need. That's why. You think God doesn't know what you need? You ask for silly stuff. Frivolous stuff. Things that are vain. Temporary pleasures and, and, and uh, foolish things. That's asking that you may consume it upon your lusts. Here's another one. Another verse for this. Psalm 78, verse 17. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Now, why did they do that in the Old Testament? Well... They were in the wilderness, and God was providing for them already. They had food. They had water. They had the manna from heaven, supernatural food. It was a miracle of God that they had this manna, but it wasn't enough for them. They said, oh, we want, the, we want meat, and we want all the things we had in Egypt, and the garlic and the leeking onions, even though they weren't thinking about they're about to go to the promised land and have milk and honey and all this other stuff. They couldn't wait. They said, we need meat now. And they complained. And so they were asking meat for their lust because they were not content with what they had. And so that's what can happen to you. You can say, well, I want this and I want that because you're not content with what you have. So I'll pray for it. Oh, I want this and I want that. And I want, you know, a Lamborghini, and I want this, and, and and all these different things that you may consume it upon your lust, and God doesn't give it to you. And you go, oh, okay, well, prayer doesn't work. No, prayer does work. You just ask for the wrong thing. Okay? So that's pretty straightforward. That's, but this is just one condition. I'm going to show you other conditions, but you see how this is a condition of answer prayer. Because some people try to say there's no conditions. Just pray. No, there is. Very plainly. This is a condition. That you don't ask for things that you don't need. Let's continue. God tells us to pray for things that are according to his will. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Okay, so, very clearly it says, if we ask anything according to his will, again, that is a condition. If you ask for something that is not according to the will of God, 
he will not hear you, he will not answer. But if it is according to the will of God, it says, here's a promise that he hears you and you will have the petitions that you desired of him. Which, by the way, is prayer changing something. It's affecting something because you ask, you have a petition that you desire of God and then he gives it to you. That's changing things, not just changing yourself. Okay, so let's explain this a little bit more about what it means to ask something according to God's will. First of all, this means first according to the general will of God as revealed in Scripture. Okay, so that's the first aspect of what it means to pray or ask anything according to the will of God. When you you have to read the word of God, right? We're commanded to read, to study, to show thyself approved unto God, these types of things, to desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And the entire Bible is the revealed will of God, okay? You can know what God's general will is for everyone by reading the Bible. Now, if you pray for something that goes against the will of God, as revealed in the Bible, you cannot expect an answer. Let's look at this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, I want you to pay attention to this for a second. Because Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Okay? So the Scriptures are not the will of man What's the opposite? It's the will of God. Not the will of man, it's the will of God. They were moved by the Holy Ghost. They were moved by God to write the scriptures, which contain the revealed will of God. So you have to read the Bible to know the will of God. So that's why actually reading the Bible is directly connected to prayer. Okay? You cannot pray Effectively, you cannot expect to get answer prayer if you're not reading the Bible, knowing what the will of God is generally for everyone. Because you won't know what to pray for. You'll have no idea. Or what not to pray for, right? So that's the first aspect. Is praying according to the will of God means praying according to the general will of God revealed in the Scripture. Do not pray against that. The scriptures are not the will of man. They reveal the will of God. Don't expect an answer to prayer if you are praying for something that goes against the general will of God in scripture. For instance, someone praying for an opportunity to rob someone. Okay, You're not going to get an answer to that prayer because it goes directly against the Bible, the commandment, thou shall not steal. You know, if you're going to pray to God, oh God, can you give me an opportunity to commit adultery? No way. Absolutely not. You will not get an answer to that prayer because it goes against the revealed will of God. And you could apply that to anything else. So before you pray, you might want to read the Bible first and find out if God is for or against what you are praying for. Very simple. Next, then it must be according to God's specific will for your life. Okay, so the general will revealed will of God in the scriptures applies to everyone, right? But then there's also a specific will of God applying to each individual's life as far as how your life goes, you know, uh, where you go, what you do, events that happen in your life. That's up to God. 
right, for your specific situation. And sometimes God wants you to have something now, or maybe not, or maybe he doesn't, he will, he wants you to have it, but he wants to wait a little bit before you have it. So that's specific to your life. This means sometimes he answers the prayer right away, and other times he gives you grace to endure the circumstance. I'm going to give you an instance right here from Scripture. Paul the Apostle asked for this messenger of Satan to depart from him. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Okay, so in this instance, Paul asked God for this thing, whatever it was, whether it was a, a, you know, a devil or whatever it was, this messenger of Satan, he asked God three times to take it away. And God didn't. God did not take it away. So that's an instance where, and you are you going to try to say that Paul wasn't a righteous man? Of, of course he was. But he didn't have that specific prayer answered because the specific will of God for Paul's life at that, at that time, in that instance, was to not have the messenger of Satan depart, but instead to give him grace to get through it. My grace is sufficient for thee, for you to get through this. I'm going to give you grace. Instead of taking it away, I'm going to give you the grace that you need to get through it. I'm going to give you the strength. When you're in this time of weakness, that's where we can show the power of God. When you're in, in a weak state. Suffering this. Okay? And so, that's the wisdom of God and why he did that in a particular situation. And so, as applying it to you, something very similar could happen. You're in a circumstance, you want it to change. You want God to take you out of something, something to change. God, please, 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 doesn't answer. Well, maybe he doesn't want to take you out of something. He wants to give you grace to endure the temptation, the trial, the tribulation, the affliction. Doesn't want it to end right now. Maybe he wants to extend it a little bit longer to help you to purify you, strengthen your faith. And, and to get you to depend on God and call out to him in prayer. And that... Again, we always go back to what Jesus said, for without me, you can do nothing. So you're trying to do this. Maybe you're going through something and you're trying to do it in your own strength. Well, God will make you fall flat in your face and see, see, you can't. And so that you will cry out to him for help. Okay, so there's that. And then God knows what you need better than you. Did you know that? I hope you do. God knows what you need better than you. A lot of people think they know what they need. Oh, if I only had this, I'd be good. No, you're wrong. God knows. God knows what you need better than you. God also knows the future, and you don't, which means sometimes you won't know why God held back an answer to prayer until later on in life, later on down the line. A lot of times that happens. You pray for something, pray for something, and you don't get the answer. For a while, maybe weeks, months go by. And then sometime down the line, the prayer, the answer finally comes. And you go, man, oh, now I look back and go, oh, I see why God waited for that. 
I see why God held back the answer to that prayer. It's because this had to happen first, or this was going to happen, or I had to go here and do this first. You never know what it is. But God doesn't need to call you up on the phone. Hey, uh, just to let you know, I'm going to be, you know, not answering the prayer right now, but another day I will, and this is why. No, he doesn't do that. You know what he says? Walk by faith, not by sight. Just asks you to trust him. Just trust God. You don't need to see what's going to happen in the future. You don't need to see what's going to change or happen tomorrow. You need to trust God and have faith. That's part of praying. Is that you pray, but then you have patience and wait in faith for God to answer when he will in the way that he will. Like I said, he knows better than you and he knows the future. He knows what he's doing. So trust him. And here's where he says that, Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay? That's what God says to you. His ways and his thoughts are higher than yours. He knows more than you. I think he knows what he's doing. So humble yourself and stop freaking out, not having patience and going, why is he answering? Why is he answering my prayer right away? Hold on. Relax. God knows what he's doing. Trust him. Pray and trust. Continue to pray, but also trust and have faith and patience. Okay, so that's that point. If you pray, it must be according to the will of God. If you want an answer, that's a condition. First, the general revealed will of God in the scriptures can't go against the Bible, what you're praying for. And also, if it's not God's specific will for your life at that time, then you need to just wait and have patience and say, well, not my will be done, but thy will be done. It may not be God's will for me to have this at this time. So I'll just keep praying and we'll see what happens one day. And that's it. But don't freak out and say, oh, prayer doesn't work because God didn't answer this specific prayer at this time. Well, there may be a reason that you don't know why it's not being answered right now. It's not the time to murmur and complain against God. Let's continue. Next point, next condition. God tells us to pray fervently. Now, I read one of the most ridiculous things the other day. Some commentary about this verse, but let's let's read this. James chapter 5, verse 16. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, we're going to quote this verse a couple times, but right away. Effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. What does it say? Availeth much. You know what that means? Changes things. Just this one verse obliterates this whole idea. That prayer doesn't change things. It availeth much. It avails much. It changes things. Has an impact. But one part of this is fervent. Fervent means boiling hot. It means heat. It means passion. Not just passion like you, you know, you lose control of your emotions or something like that. No, it means you have earnestness behind this. You, it's something you really care about. And you are praying to God about that. And there can be different emotions about this. Could could be sad. Could be you're pouring your heart out to God because you're sad, broken hearted. It could be because you are 
sick and tired of the the wickedness and the evil that you see everywhere and you want to really want to pour out your heart to God against the evil let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end but there's fervency behind it it's not cold dead empty prayers you actually care about it care about the things that you're praying about and uh, so the ridiculous thing that I read was that it was some commentary and they're saying like uh, more modern and they were saying, oh, it doesn't mean actually fervent prayer. It was supposed to be the word fervent is supposed to be about the result of the prayer. It's it's uh, the earnest result of God or something like that it has nothing to do with the fervency of the prayer itself. It was a total ridiculous twisting of this verse. And what's funny about that is you don't. You don't just need this verse to see this principle in the Bible. It's all through the Bible. So they try to twist that one, but then there's all this other scriptural proof. So it's a ridiculous interpretation. Yes, fervency is important. Shouldn't have cold, dead prayers. Let's look at a few other verses. Psalm 126, verse 5. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth. Bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with them. Okay? Sow in tears, reap in joy. So that sowing in tears is that praying with fervency. Like I said, it's not cold, dead prayers. It's not an empty ritual. You're just going through the motions, just mouthing a bunch of words that don't mean anything. Tears. Something you really care about. Here's another one. Joel chapter 2 verse 12. Look how clear this is. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repent of them of the evil. Okay, so this is the fervency. It doesn't have to use the word. But it says what? Turn to God with all your heart, with weeping and mourning and rend your heart. You know, when it talks about, you know, concerning repentance in this instance. There needs to be some fervency there. If you have sinned against God and it's time to repent, God says, rend your heart, weep, mourn. Not, you know, halfway, half-hearted. Not a dead formal prayer that you just mouth. No way. It's got to have fervency. Put some heat on it. Okay? So that's another condition. Make sure you uh, remember that one as well. And you know, it doesn't have to be crazy every single time. Obviously not every time you're going to be weeping every time you pray or whatever it is. But just be... just. Keep on guard. Keep your heart in check about empty, dead, formal prayers that have no heart behind them. All right, let's continue. God tells us to pray in private, not in public, to give the appearance of righteousness. Another condition. Jesus specifically warned against this. Let's read. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, 
that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now, by the way, side note, this is not talking about preaching. Uh, some ridiculous people try to uh, apply this passage to street preaching or something like that. Uh, no, it's not talking about public public preaching, which everybody did in the Bible, especially Jesus himself preached publicly to thousands of people. So that's a ridiculous interpretation. Yes, you're supposed to publicly preach. But praying is a different story. Because when you're praying in public, you are saying, you're basically doing it as a show. And again, this would be something that someone would do who doesn't really believe prayer actually changes things. God listens to their prayers, answers their prayers. It's just something that they're doing as a show and a ritual and doesn't really have an impact. So, of course, they're going to do it publicly. They're going to do it in in their church, in their cathedral, in their synagogue, whatever it is. But why bother praying by yourself in your closet at home unless you know it is powerful and it does change things? But Jesus clearly said, don't do that. Don't put on a show and do it in public and try to uh, draw attention to yourself. Look at me. I'm praying. Nope. There's another one. And then another condition right after that is God tells us not to use vain repetitions in prayer. And some instances of that would be praying the rosary in the Catholic Church. That you have to do, oh, seven Hail Marys, you know, 20 Our Fathers, and, and repeating the same thing over and over and over and over again. And it says, as the heathen do, right? So it's not saying that it's a heathen prayer. It's as they do. It's just repeating the same things over and over again contemplative prayer they, they also have this uh, thing that they do where they say you know pick one phrase one line and repeat it over and over again and you're emptying your mind this is meditation mantras they tell you to repeat things over and over again repetition and mindlessly repeating the same things over and over again is not only warned against in the Bible it's also used in hypnotism just a little fun fact there. But uh, anyways, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, but when ye pray, use not vain repetitions. Repetitions for no reason, as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Saying the same things over and over again. They think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Oh, they use these phrases over and over again. Maybe if you just say it 10 more times, God will listen. No, absolutely not. That's not true. So again, this would be another condition for prayer because Jesus specifically said, don't do that. Don't pray that way. Okay? And he tells you how to pray. Uh, I have a message about that, by the way. Uh, if you haven't, gone back and watched that. It's called How to Pray and What to Pray. There's a little bit of overlap, but I do an extensive breakdown of the Lord's Prayer and how it's not something that you just repeat word for word. It's actually a framework for a daily prayer. And so I recommend you go back and watch that one. Okay, so let's continue to the next point. God tells us that he answers the prayer of the righteous. 
answers the prayer of the righteous. Okay, I'm going to read some verses about this and then we'll um, explain it in more detail. Again, in James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Okay, so we covered the fervent prayer. But now we're looking at where it says of a righteous man. That's important. It doesn't say the effectual fervent prayer of a wicked man, of a lost man. No. Righteous. And let's read some more. We're just going to read the rest of these passages and then I will uh, talk about it. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Okay, well, I'm, I actually, I'm going to comment right now, okay? Because there's two kinds of righteousness we need to understand. Okay? Two kinds we need to understand. And again, for another teaching that explains this in much more detail, please go back and watch it uh, or listen to a teaching I did called Position and Practice. And this is very important to understand there is positional righteousness and practical righteousness. Positional righteousness is when you get saved, when you're born again, you repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. At that moment, instantly, you are seen, no longer seen as guilty and condemned before God, but now you're seen as righteous. Okay? You are pardoned, you are forgiven of your sin, and you're seen as righteous. And Romans chapter 4 clearly teaches that um, at that moment, Christ's righteousness is imputed to you and you're seen as righteous. That's positional righteousness. And that happens the moment you get saved and that's how God sees you from that moment on. But there's also practical righteousness. Because, you know, if you you go through your Christian life, the Christian walk, you're not going to be sinless. So there is sin. But the Bible says, I write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And so what that means is you are striving against sin. You are not trying to sin, but sometimes you mess up and you do something you shouldn't do. And immediately the response should be you're convicted about it. You repent of it. You confess that sin, forsake it. You want to turn away from it and get back on the right track. And that's more to do with the practical righteousness and then fellowship with God. Okay. And you need to be in fe- walking in fellowship with God. And you're not walking in fellowship with God if you are um, hiding sin, trying to cover it up. But also it says here, because we have what we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. So there's also this obedience to God, um, keeping His command- striving to keep his commandments, obey him. And this plays a role in this condition of prayer, it absolutely does. There's So there's, like I said, positional, but also this is part of the practical righteousness. And we don't keep commandments in order to earn the salvation. It's because we're already saved. It's out of love for God. Out of love for Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Okay. And we keep his commandments and they're not grievous. It's not a big, it's not a burden to us. Oh man, we have to obey God. Ugh, awful. Yeah, that's not what a, a Christian says. Okay, so you keep his commandments. You do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And what does it say? You, whatever you ask, you receive of him. Okay, if it's according to the will of God. Here's some more. 
John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Well, that's talking about the word of God, right? So if you want your prayers answered, you better be reading the word of God. Reading it, meditating upon it. If you neglect the Bible, why all of a sudden, but then all of a sudden, oh, I need my prayer answered. Well, why have you been neglecting the word of God? And the Bible clearly says he does not answer the prayer of the wicked, lost people. Does not, unless it's a prayer of repentance. Um, Proverbs 15, 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The prayer of the upright, of the righteous, delights God. But the sacrifice, the prayer of the wicked, abomination to God. Here's another one. Um... Psalm 34, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry, to the cry of the righteous, their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut them, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Okay? So again, God hears the, the cry, the prayer of the righteous, but he's against them that do evil, the wicked. He doesn't want to hear their um, what they ask for. Here's another one. Proverbs 28.9 He that turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer, shall be abomination. Now I think we could apply this in two ways. First of all, to the wicked, right? Lost people, they, they don't want to hear the, the word of God. They hate it. And so their prayer is an abomination. That's what he says in other passages. That's what God says. But also think about it. If you're a Christian and you're you turn away your ear from the word hearing the word of God, you don't want to hear it. Why should God answer your prayer? And so again, I suggest to you to repent of that. Get back to the word of God. God does not answer the prayer of those who hide their sin. Okay? So again, I want to, this is a clear warning and I want to direct this at Christians too, okay? God does not answer the prayer of those who hide their sins. So maybe you haven't gotten an answer to prayer because you're hiding sin. Maybe you're covering it up. Maybe you're making excuses. Here's what the Bible says. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily God hath heard me. He, he hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. So that's so, you know, that's, strengthening of your faith that is uh you know edifying to hear this that god has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy he heard he has attended to the voice of my prayer but that is in contrast to those who regard iniquity in their heart then god says what he will not listen to them he will not hear them now what does it mean to regard iniquity in your heart does it mean you just sin no it means you're regarding it is to protect it Instead of confessing it, you regard it. You don't let it go. Need to con- As soon as you uh, are convicted of that, you know that you've sinned, you need to repent of it. Confess it to God right away. Pour out your heart to God. Admit everything that you've done. And you, know, you should be sorry for that sin and want nothing to do with it. Don't try to cover it. Here's another one. Another verse related to that. Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. 
But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So if you cover your sins, why do you expect to prosper? Why do you expect God to answer your prayers? If you're covering your sin, it's not going to happen. But what's, what's the solution? Confess and forsake. You know, what does it say in 1 John? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And now we have fellowship with God. Now we're walking with him. But when you don't confess, you try to cover it, you're walking in darkness. You're not in fellowship with God. And why should you expect an answer to prayer? Okay, so make sure you take care of that right away. Is do not hide your sin. Do not cover it up. Do not make excuses. Do not justify yourself. But repent right away. Confess that sin. And don't regard it in your heart. Confess that sin. And that is a big condition to answer prayer. Okay, let's go to the next one. God tells us to pray in faith, not doubting. Let's see what Jesus said right here. Mark 11, verse 22. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. So see how he says not just to ask, whatever you desire, which by the way, if you're desiring something, that's desiring something that will change, right? Prayer changing things. If you desire something, you pray about it, he says you have to believe that you receive them. Believe that God can answer that prayer. There has to be faith in this prayer. Here, Let's look at another one. This will really drive it home. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Don't be double-minded. Have faith or doubt. Have faith or doubt. No, you need to have faith. Faith in God. And what does it say? Let him ask in faith. Do not waver and doubt. Well, I don't know if God's really going to answer. Can he answer the prayer? Can it, is it really going to do anything? Well, if, you, if that's what you believe, you're doubting the power of God. Now, if you have a problem with faith, I got something for you right here. Faith is increased by a consistent reading, studying, and meditating upon the Word of God. You know what the Bible says? Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So again, this is where there is another huge connection between reading the Word of God and prayer. They go together. It's not just one or the other. You know, I've heard a lot of preaching and teaching over the years where it's like, too much emphasis on either extreme. 
some of us are like, well, just we need to pray. We need to pray five hours a day, every day, and that's all we need. We don't need as much preaching. No, we need preaching and teaching. We need the Word of God. We need both. Oh, we just need to preach and preach and preach. We just need the Word of God. And they, they pray for like 10 minutes. No, you need prayer too. You need both. Prayer and the Word of God. They go together. And so, right here though, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith is increased by reading the Word of God, hearing it preach, whatever it may be. The more you get it in your mind and in your heart, it increases your faith. Now, faith is based on the promises of the Word of God. Okay? You read a promise in the Word of God. God says, if you ask, you know, if you pray to God, He will answer you. If you meet these conditions, you should believe that in faith because God cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. And what does it say in the, in the other verse I just quoted? He is faithful and just. Okay? So, God says, if you do this, Here's the promise that I will do this. And if you believe God is faithful, then you will believe that he will uh, answer that prayer. He will you know, follow through with his promise. If you doubt the promise of God, you are attacking God's character and saying, well, God's not faithful. You're attacking the faithfulness of God. And so you need to understand that. That's why it's so bad to doubt when you pray. Because you're doubting God's character. When he has given you all these promises, the Bible says, exceeding great and precious promises, all you have to do is believe. Simple, childlike faith. He says it, you believe it. That's it. Okay, so, have faith, no doubt. Do not doubt. Do not look at circumstances and what's going on in the world and this thing and that thing. No, you just focus on the promise of the Word of God and believe it by faith and you pray in faith. That's it. And believe, you know what, God, if it's God's will, then He can answer this prayer and He can make a big difference. And He's able to answer above all that you could ever ask or think. Look at the next one. Next point. God tells us to keep praying until we get an answer instead of praying once and giving up. You don't just pray once or twice and then you give up. All oh, prayer doesn't work. I prayed and it didn't happen. Garbage. Get out of here with that nonsense. You need to keep praying. Jesus specifically addressed this in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them. To this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Not to faint, not to give up, but to keep praying. Saying, there was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. Okay, so what is Jesus talking about? Well, he's saying, right at the beginning, he says, Men ought always to pray and not to faint. So he's saying that's what the meaning of this parable is. This is what it's teaching. And this widow would not 
stop going to this unjust judge. And she kept asking over and over and over again. This is called importunity in prayer. It means you keep asking until you get an answer. And God tells you specifically, this is what you should do with me. Always pray and not to faint, not to give up. And so don't think, oh, I, I, you know, I prayed a couple times and then I gave up. Well, that means prayer doesn't work. No, wrong. You gave up. God wants you to pray. And, and yes, there is something in this that does affect us and it helps us and it, and it changes our the way that we think and our behavior. Absolutely. But that's not all. It also changes things because eventually there's an answer to that prayer. Okay. So that's another one is the importunity in prayer. Keep going. Don't ever give up. Okay. So now having said that, we are going to end this message with examples of how prayer changes things. I'm going to give you a few examples from the word of God and then we'll end this teaching. But before we do that, I want you to see everything I just went through here is very clearly taught in the Word of God about these conditions to answer prayer. And so if you do pray in the right way, you do pray um, according to these conditions, and you have patience, and something's according to the will of God, all these types of things, then that's where you will see prayer that changes things. If you refuse to acknowledge and put into action these condi- these conditions, then it's your own fault if there's no answer to prayer. Okay? Because if you meet all the conditions and you don't get an answer, then it may just not be God's will for you at that time, whatever it is. But in any other circumstance, make sure you're looking at all these conditions. Review all these verses and make sure you get it down and think about that. Now, Having established all that, we will see very amazing, clear examples that obviously prayer changed something in the Bible. And we're going to read pretty much mostly examples from the Old Testament since, you know, we're talking about Ben Shapiro at the beginning here. So we'll just give mostly examples from the Old Testament. If there is a rejection of the new, well, here's the old. It's right there. First example of prayer changing circumstances is Elijah. Elijah prayed for there to be no rain. James chapter 5, verse 16, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We read that, right? But then it says, Elias, which is Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. Which just means he was a man just like us. He was not a god. Okay? He was not an angel. He was a man that got hungry and thirsty, and cold, and at all the same, you know, temptations and struggles that we do. But, it says, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Three and a half years of no rain. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Okay? So Elijah prayed and was it just so he could change his thought process and be conformed to the will of God? No, it actually changed things. Stopped the rain and then 
brought the rain back because God answered his prayer and it changed something very dramatically. Let's look at another circumstance. Hannah prayed for a child. Let's read here in 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 4. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Okay, so Hannah had her womb shut up, and she could not have babies at that time. And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And he say that was talking about the other wife, Penina. Uh, but anyways, as and as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah her husband to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? Why eatest thou not? Why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord. Okay, so she prayed. She couldn't have a child, and now it's time to pray. And did she pray with fervency? Yes, she did. It says that she prayed and wept sore. There's the fervency. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And then we go down to verse uh, 25, I believe. Wherefore, it came to pass when the time was... I'm sorry, verse 20. When it came to pass that when the time was come after about... Uh, I'm sorry, about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. Okay, so then God answered her prayer, and she had a son, called his name Samuel. And then what does it say? Because I have asked him of the Lord. She asked God for a child, and then God gave her a child. That is a change of circumstance. Uh, and then in verse 26, And she said, O oh my Lord, as thou... As thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. How clear is that? That she asked God her petition, and he gave her the child. That is a real-world impact, a change of circumstance. Because she prayed. Here's another one. Daniel. Daniel and his friends prayed for God to show Daniel the king of Babylon's dream and the interpretation of the dream. Okay, so we go to the book of Daniel. Chapter 2, verse 16. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Okay, the king Nebuchadnezzar had this dream he asked all the, the magicians and the sorcerers, tell me my dream. And they're like, well, you tell us what the dream is and we'll give you the interpretation. He said, no, you need to tell me the dream and the interpretation. And they're like, no one can do that. Then they asked Daniel and he said, just give me some time. Verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the 
thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning the secret. To pray that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Okay, so he came to his friends and said, let's pray. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed of God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and seasons. He removeth kings, setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast made known unto, uh, now made known unto us the king's matter. Okay, there it is. He said, I need to know, God, please, the dream that the king had and the interpretation. The interpretation. He prayed for that. And what does he say? God, you made it known unto me what we desired. You showed us the dream and the interpretation. So again, this wasn't just changing Daniel's thought process and making him conform to the will of God. It was that he didn't know the dream and now he does. He didn't know the interpretation and now he does because he prayed. It was a direct result of the prayer and it changed the circumstance. And it saved their lives as well. Now we're going to move on to the New Testament. The church prayed for Peter to be freed from prison. Okay, Peter went to prison. Didn't know how he was going to get out, but guess what? They prayed. In the book of Acts, chapter 12, starting in verse 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Okay, so they prayed... Other people prayed for Peter. The other Christians interceded for him. And so, and, and that's an important point because we're talking about that prayer doesn't just change things for yourself, also for other people. You can change the circumstances of other people by prayer. You don't believe me? Well, let's read. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. Instantly the chains fell off of Peter. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he said unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel. But he thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which openeth to them of his own accord. Which opened to them. And he, they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. Okay? So, again, prayer 
changed things. It changed the circumstances of Peter. Not only from him, like I said, praying for himself, other people prayed for him, and an angel broke him out of jail. And you might say, yeah, Nate, whatever. That was back in the Bible times. That was, uh, well, this wasn't the Old Testament. It was the New Testament. Well, that was back in the time of the apostles and blah, blah, blah. God doesn't, you know, do things like that anymore. Okay, well, why are there all these promises then that I already went through all throughout the New Testament that apply to us today? Why is there that? And, and, and talk about supernatural miracles. What do you think is going to happen in the end when you have the two witnesses and turning water to blood and shutting up heaven? Uh, very similar to Elijah and Moses and these types of things. Okay, God's not done with that. And, um, you know, that is that is not to say that there's, there's, this is the thing that we need to really be careful of, okay? God, because there's always two extremes. God does answer prayer. He does do supernatural things. He does do miracles still today. I've seen it. Other people can testify, many Christians, of healing. People have diseases and they were healed. Absolutely, 100%, that applies today. People have prayed for people and had um, evil spirits out, you know, that have departed from them. Other, you know, supernatural answers to prayer, stopping people from death, these types of things. But what I was going to say about the extremes is we have to be careful of the charismatic extremes where there isn't testing. And there's a lot of unbiblical behavior, things that are out of order, out of control, a lot of confusion, these types of things. You've got to be real careful of that. But we also don't want to go in the other extreme where everything's dead, empty, ritual formalism. Okay? We need to see the power of God. And it, you're not going to see it without prayer. And you know what? It's needed now in these days more than ever. As long as it's, you know, it could be something supernatural, whatever it is, as long as it's according to the Word of God and not something wacky outside of the Word of God or goes against it, we need to see it. We need to see the power of God. The lost world needs to see it. There's a lot of talking going on, but not a lot of demonstration of the power of God. That's because there's a lack of prayer and there's a lack of proper praying meeting these conditions. But this is another uh, example of prayer changing things. Now, one more example, and we'll be done with the teaching. An example of prayer changing God's course of action. Yes, some people say, oh, what do you mean? God can't change God's course of action. Well, it happened in the Bible. Uh, very clearly, Moses um, prayed in Exodus chapter 32, verse 7. God was very upset with the Israelites because they made the golden calf. They were dancing around that. It was idolatry, and he wanted to wipe them out. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. 
They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now they're, mean, meaning they were very stubborn and rebellious. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken I will, of I will give you unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do, Unto his people, and what that means in that circumstance is, now God doesn't repent of sin like we do. God is sinless, but the word means in that context, it's a change of mind which results in a change of action. That's simply what it means. Okay, and so he was going to do that. He said he was going to do that. He was going to wipe all those people out. He said, Moses, get out of the way. But then Moses intercedes, prays for them by talking to God, and God stops it. He's not, he said, I'm not going to do it anymore. Now, you know, we could argue all about this, like, well, you know, God, you know, he wasn't going to do it anyway, and it was just to illustrate something, whatever it may be. It does, that, none of that matters, how you want to explain it after. What matters is that God said he was going to do this, Moses interceded, and God changed the course of action. And so the reason that that's important is because it shows the importance of intercession. This is talked about over and over through uh, all throughout the Bible that about standing in the gap, making up the hedge. You know, um, Samuel said, God forbid I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, praying for other people. And so because look at this instance, he stood in the gap for all these people and it changed the course of events of what God was going to do. So, again, that's just another example of a prayer, changing circumstances, changing the, you know, God's actions, something that was going to happen. Prayer effect wasn't just affecting him. Okay, so that's the last example I'm using, and let's uh, wrap this up. It is true that praying helps you to be more in accordance with God's will, but it is also true that prayer changes things. They're both true. To deny that fact is to deny a mountain of Scripture, which I have showed you. And I only showed you a few examples of prayer changing things. There's many, many more examples all through the Bible where we can see how prayer changed things. And so what I want you to take away from this is that, first of all, obviously prayer changes things, and that's the most important thing. But knowing that, there has to be the proper conditions met first. And the Bible clearly explains that, that it needs to be praying according to the will of God. Don't pray for things against the will of God, against the word of God. Don't pray for things according to your own lusts. 
Don't cover up your sin. Regard iniquity in your heart. Um, make sure you're serving God, obeying God, and praying with fervency. All these types of things. Combine that together. Praying in faith. And if it's according to the will of God, you will see mighty answers to prayer. Okay? And mighty answers to prayer, that changes things. And also, don't forget the importunity. Don't ever give up on praying for whatever it is or for other people. Don't give up on other people. Even if people, you know, reject the gospel, they don't want to hear it. Even if people are really, really off track and you think there's no hope for them, keep praying for them. Okay? I'm just one example. I used to be a death metal singer and someone would have saw me and uh, in that world that I was in, they probably would have thought there's no way that guy would become a Christian. But God saved me. And so don't ever give up hope. You need to keep praying. Because prayer changes things, okay? So I, I want you to... Uh, I want this message to strengthen your faith in prayer. The power of prayer. And we also talked about the purpose of what it can do. Okay, it's not just for changing you. It's for also changing circumstances. And God wants you to do it to know that you depend on Him. You need Him. Without me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. Okay? So that's uh, pretty much it. I hope that was a blessing to you. Thank you for watching and listening. Please like, share, subscribe. Check out the links below, especially the Telegram feed. Please subscribe to that. Sign up. Get the app. Download it from the website. is the best place. Telegram. And um, you can subscribe to the Sound of the Battle Cry feed. Get all the updates, PDFs, news updates, you know, all these other types of things to stay in touch. And thank you for all the support and prayers. God bless you. Have a good day.